Today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 19, and it can be found on page 903 of your Blue Pew Bibles. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth, Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word of God. Eleni, thank you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, it it really is one of these texts that you almost want to just read it uh, and then spend some time thinking about it. Um, And I pray even now that the reading of your word in and of itself would lead us into worship. Um, Because what we just heard, uh, the words of your son to you for us, are a mystery and a wonder and an awe. Um, And we don't 
even really have the capacity to get our minds around them apart from the help of your Holy Spirit, uh, apart from your Spirit uh, illuminating these words to the minds, uh, to the eyes of our minds and of our, of our hearts. Um, so, Father, please open our ears. Um, let us not be like those gods that would have been on the hills uh, that Bryce talked about, that don't have eyes and can't see and don't have ears and can't hear, because we are made in your image. We're made to bear your image, and so we are made to see and to hear uh, and to know uh, your love for us uh, and your love for the world. Um, Father, I pray that in these next uh, minutes, uh, as we look at your word, uh, that we would be changed, um, that we would uh, bear your image more when we leave this place than we did when we, when we came in, that we would more accurately reflect uh, your love, the love of Christ, the love of the Spirit, uh, for one another, uh, for us, for the world. Um, Father, these things are too much for us. Uh, again, we need your Spirit. Um, Father, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to come before you uh, and to pray. Um, and Father, while we don't uh, often uh, pray for folks by name, it, it does feel appropriate to pray for Bradley and Mita um, as they travel uh, this week. Be with them uh, as they grieve um, a year, having passed since the death of Mita's dad. Uh, be with them as they celebrate. Uh, as Ben and, and Lauren uh, are, are married, and as they're with um, Mac and, and with Louisa, uh, as the family gets to be together. Um, please be with them. Uh, only you know all of the different emotions and, and, and burdens and joys uh, that, are, that are before them. Um, and, and again, it's only by your spirit that they would even have the capacity to, to enter into all of that. Uh, and so please be with them. Um, be with them as they travel. Bring them back safely uh, to us. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that we get to sit under it. And I pray uh, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things that I um, have always really appreciated about Bradley and Mita's uh, friendship um, that I've enjoyed for uh, close to 20 years now. Um, and I can say this because uh, they're not here. Uh, so, you know, maybe later if they listen on the podcast, they can be embarrassed from afar. But um, one of the things that I have always loved about their friendship is the fact that if you go into Bradley and Mita's house, nine times out of 10, if not 99 out of 100, you're not going to leave without praying. It's just going to happen. Um, and the weightier the thing that you have to talk about, whether it's weighty, bad, weighty, good, um, the more near to your heart um, the conversation is, the more likely it is that you're going to pray. Um, and, and what that's impressed on me is that when all the words have been said, when it seems like there are no more words uh, to exchange, um, it's still important uh, to lift our eyes up to heaven and, and to say those words again uh, and to pray uh, and to speak uh, words, words to God. Um, Jesus has been saying some weighty things to his disciples, and it is a weighty moment. Um, he has said it a couple times already. He says it again here in this text. It's the hour at last. Now is the hour. The hour that he's been saying 
isn't here yet, all the way through the gospel, right? All the way since chapter 2. It's not my hour yet. Now the hour has come. Now is the time. Now is the time for him to be glorified, which means now is the time for the cross. And in light of that, um, he has had some weighty things um, to say to the the disciples uh, that we've been looking at um, these last... Uh, these last several weeks, and even into even into last spring, um, and now, having said all those words, he lifts his eyes up to heaven, and he prays. Um, and we do need to just pause for just a second, and just realize what it is that's taking place um, as we're as we're listening to this. Um, Not only is Jesus um, modeling for us what it it looks like uh, to live a a fully human life, right? A life of perfect obedience to his Father, independence on the Spirit. Not only is he going to model everything in his prayer that he has said to the disciples leading up to it. Um, Not only that, but in this prayer, as we read this, as we contemplate this, we are getting a front row seat to a conversation inside of the Trinity, right? This is one person of the Trinity talking to another, um, and we get to listen. Um, this, is, this is Jesus. This is the Word made flesh. This is the eternally begotten Son of God. This is the one who is of the same substance with the Father, right? God of God, light from light, very God of very God, the one who with the Father and the Spirit is worshiped and will reign forever. That's who this is. That's who's speaking. Um, And we get to listen to the words that he says. Um, And we get to hear the things that he prays for himself, uh, for his disciples, uh, and for us. Next week, explicitly, when we come to to next week's passage, explicitly for us sitting in this room. Um, This is an amazing thing. I don't want us to let I, just, I don't want us to pass over just what this is um, that, we are, that we are reading this, uh, reading here. Um, we're going to see four things. I know normally it's three points, but there's four things. Um, on the one hand, um, I have a little bit more to say about who this is and, and just, just what it is that he's asking for. Um, and what it is that's going on that we see in these first five verses. But then as we move into the prayer and we see ex- specifically the things that Jesus asks for, um, he's going to ask for three things. He's going to ask um, that God would keep the disciples in his name. Right? Keep them in your name, he says. He says, keep them from the evil one. That's the second thing that he asks for. And lastly, he asks that they would be set apart. He asks that they would be sanctified. Okay, so I want us to look at each of those uh, in turn. Um, these first five verses are, are the ones that, just, just these five verses by themselves, um, should just stop us, right, and knock us over um, with, with awe. Jesus prays here for his own glorification. And, and if you've been following, right, as, as we've been going through the book of John, you know when Jesus prays, Uh, for himself to be glorified, um, what he's praying about is the cross, right? His goal, he's made very clear, his goal is to glorify the Father, and the Father's going to glorify him, Um, and that is what he's praying for here. 
Um, he says, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. And you might think, you might think that if the hour has come, that actually maybe there's less need to pray than ever. You know, except, except perhaps the prayer um, that we, we know it was on his heart from the other Gospels, you know, which was, you know, if there's any other way, please let this, this pass from me. Um, John doesn't record that, um, but, it's in, but it's in the other Gospels. But you might think that there's not really any, need, any need to pray um, if the hour has come, because Jesus knows what's about to happen. This is the hour that he has come for, right? If, if there's any point in his life that he is sure about what he has to do. Um, this is it. Um, and yet, you get the sense that because that hour has come, because the path is set, because it's now time to do what he came to do, it's all the more important that he turn toward God uh, and, and pray. Um, one of the, the commentators that I, that I read about this said, as is so often the case, emphasis on God's sovereignty, emphasis on his, his control, emphasis on the fact that everything is happening according to plan, serves as an incentive to pray, not as a reason not to. The more sure we are that God is in control, the more eager we are to go to him and to pray and to ask him to do the things that he has promised uh, to do. Um, Jesus describes himself as the one who has been given authority over all flesh, that is, over all humanity, all men, to give eternal life uh, to all that God has given him. And then he says, and we've read this verse time and time again throughout this whole series on John, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Um, to know God, to know him personally, to know him intimately, not just to know about him. This is something that has been promised since the first unveiling of the new covenant back in the Old Testament, right? Back in, back in the book of Jeremiah, when that promise is first made, Jeremiah 31, 34 says, no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So this idea that to know God um, is the very essence of eternal life, um, that's not a, a new idea. But nevertheless, it's still a shock. Um, it's still a scandal. It's still something um, that no one could have predicted when God shows up in a form that can be known like Jesus. When God humbles himself, when the Son of God takes on flesh, right, and walks, and walks among us. Um, and Jesus indicates that this knowledge of the Father is something that he alone can give, right? Because it's not just an intellectual knowledge, it's not just knowledge about him, um, it is a intimate, it is a personal uh, knowledge, one of, the, one of the early church fathers, um, in fact, the one for whom we probably um, have most reason to thank for the way that we talk about Jesus um, in, in, his, in his humanity and his divinity. Um, so this, this, this guy's name was Cyril of Alexandria, right? 
Um, he's like fifth century, um, and, he, and he's, he's the one, he was probably the strongest influence on the way that we talk about Jesus being one person in two natures, like fully human and fully divine, right? And just working out like, how does that work, right? So as you can imagine, he's, he's best known for his systematic theology, right? For his, his philosophical theology. He did some heady stuff. Um, but he also wrote a commentary on John. And you could just tell he was having fun. I, 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 I will often read his commentaries. Um, and, you know, a lot of stuff written 1,500 or more, more years ago, um, it's pretty dry. You might pick up on one or two things that are kind of helpful. Oh, my goodness. Cyril of Alexandria on John 17 is gold. Just the whole thing. Um, he's having such a good time. And one of the things that he says about the knowledge that we gain of the Father from Jesus is this. He says, those who have been called by faith to adoption and an eternal life must learn not only that God is one and that he is true, but also that he is a father. That was essential knowledge of who this God is. Not just that he is the one God, not just that he is the creator God, not just that he is the maker of heaven and earth. That's important, right? That was in our psalm. But he's a father. Um, take, take these things home with you. Um, that line that Aaron highlighted from the song that Nathan chose, um, who else invites me to call him father? Only a holy God. Cyril goes on, it, it, it's, 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 it's not only that, you have to know what kind of father he is and what kind of son the father has, right? And this is all part of them glorifying each other as we see that it's the kind of father who gives up his son and the kind of son who willingly obeys the father to go to the cross for us. The question I want to ask you before we move on to the things that Jesus prays for is, is simply, do you know God? Do you know God and do you know Jesus, whom God has sent? Do you know God as your father? Do you know Jesus um, as your brother, the true elder brother, who does what the elder brother in that parable was supposed to do, goes into the far country, pursues you? Do you know this God? Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time with his people? Um, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the New Testament, the, the message, right? It's, um, um, I guess it's a paraphrase, not a, not a word-for-word translation. Um, but he's got quite an ear. And, and when he comes to that passage in Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me, um, all you who are weary, one of the things that he has Jesus say is, get away with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from me the rhythms of unforced grace. Are you watching how Jesus does it in the pages of his word, in the lives of his people, in prayer? Do you know him? Because Jesus says that's the essence of eternal life. That's a life fit for the ages, is knowledge of this God. Let's look at the things that Jesus prays for here in this passage. So the first thing he says, Father, keep them in your name. So this comes... Um, right at the end of, of verse 11, right? Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, 
even as we are one. Now, I'm, I'm actually going to skip over for now the, that they may be one even as we are one. Um, not only because that's really hard to understand, um, but more so because that's going to be like the central theme of next week as we move to the, the last seven verses of this chapter. We'll come back to this, this, this unity uh, that Jesus prays for. But here he's praying, keep them in your name. What does that mean? Um, we've been talking about this phrase, uh, the name, um, a few times in this passage. Because we've seen that Jesus tells us we need to pray for things in his name. Um, and as we've said, one thing that that means is that we have our minds, our hearts, our wills, our desires oriented like his. Right? So that to pray for things in Jesus' name is in some way to try to pray the way Jesus himself would pray. To pray for the things that he would pray for. Um, Cyril... I got a lot from Cyril of Alexandria this, this, this week. Um, Cyril thinks that when Jesus prays that we be kept in his name, that's a way of saying, keep them in your glory. Right? And he, he's got a, a pretty good case for that. He, he points out, you know, in Exodus 3, um, when God reveals his name, I am that I am, what he's revealing is his character. He's revealing his identity. He's revealing who he is. Right? Um, he points out that Solomon, you know, in the Proverbs, talks about the value of a good name, you know, which is sort of synonymous with reputation or with, with glory. Um, Isaiah 58, God promises to give uh, the eunuchs uh, who delight in his law and in his, in his Sabbaths a name better than sons or daughters, right? Um, what all these things kind of have to do with each other is that to be kept in the name of the Father is in some way to be made like him, to be made like one of his children, to, 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 to accurately represent his character, a family likeness. Remember back in John 8, right, on the flip side of things, uh, Jesus had some pretty harsh words uh, for the Pharisees when he said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Right? So what you do is revealing who your father is. There's a family likeness. Um, well, this is, this is the more positive uh, side of that, uh, that to be kept in God's name um, is to bear a family likeness to him. And so it is to pray the way that he would, that, that he would pray, but it's also to have a deeper knowledge of who he is, um, of his glory, to more and more resemble him. We pray for this all the time. Right? that we would more and more bear God's image, that we would look more and more like Jesus, who is the image, the perfect image of, of Jesus. Um, Paul has a, a particularly uh, beautiful way of, of putting this in 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You can see there again these connections between being kept in his name and the image and his glory. Um, it's interesting to think of who it is. Who is it that is kept in his name? Um, in these, in these verses, uh, uh, verses 6 through 11, leading up to this, 
Um, the structure is pretty, it's, it's not all that easy to read. And it's pretty elliptical. You know, Jesus kind of like it comes back to the same thing several times. Um, as a side note, I think that's just like, this is a prayer. This is a real prayer. I don't know what it sounds like when you pray. Um, you know, when, 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 I, when I pray, it typically doesn't sound like a, you know, five-paragraph essay, right, moving from thesis statement to conclusion. You might kind of go back and forth and ideas occur to you, right? Um, and I think we're, we're getting some of that. Jesus is fully human, and he is really praying uh, here. But if you look at it, what he basically says is, those who he's praying to be kept in his name are those to whom Jesus has manifested his glory, those God has given him, that is to Jesus, those who were the fathers, those who are the sons. Now, now notice, nowhere in there is, is those who chose him, right? All of the action, all of the, all of the ways that you get in this group are at the initiative of God. And we might even say the initiative of God before the foundation of the world. The church is God's creation. We belong to God and we belong to one another because he chose us, not because we chose each other or chose him. Right? So this is what John means when he says we love because he loved us first. And that love brings us into relationship with him and with each other that thing that we celebrate when we hear the absolution of sins and then immediately pass the peace of Christ to recognize because of what he's done, we belong to each other and we have peace uh, with each other. And why is Jesus praying that we be kept in his name? Um, this is, this is kind of, this might strike you as strange. He says, um, he says, I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, what, why isn't he praying for the world? Does he suddenly not care about the world? Um, this is, after all, this is the same Jesus who, back in John 3, uh, said, the verse that most of us have memorized, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think what's going on here, um, yes, Jesus cares about the world. Uh, the salvation of the world is why he is here. But as the hour is upon him, and as he has these last moments to speak with his disciples, I think what he's trying to emphasize to them is saying, listen, the way the world is going to know me is through you. Um, he has said this several times in, the, in the, 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 what we've been seeing these last several weeks, right? Uh, my Father is glorified when you bear much fruit and so show, show that you're my disciples. My Father is glorified when you lay down your lives for one another. Um, the world needs a witness. And what he's praying for at this moment, in this instant, it's not that he's not praying for the world. If anything, he's praying for the world through his disciples. He's saying, I'm praying for you in order um, that they would see. And if that sounds like a daunting task, right? We said this a couple weeks ago. The, the higher that Jesus raises the bar, like the more, he thinks says, the more he says things like, lay down your lives for each other. Um, 
the more encouragement he has to give. He doesn't command anything without at the same time giving the power to do it. And he's already said, um, I'm sending the Spirit. And the Spirit is going to be with you. And that same power that's going to raise Jesus from, from the dead in a few days is what's at work in us. That the Father would be glorified as we bear fruit, as we lay down our lives um, for each other. Jesus prays, keep them from the evil one. He says, I'm not asking that they be taken out of the world, but that they be kept uh, from, the evil, from the evil one. This is recognizing that we are meant to be in the world. And as Jesus just said at the end of the last chapter, um, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Leslie Newbegin on this passage made the really interesting point that in some ways the church's mission to the world requires that it not be of the world. Here's what he says. He says, when the church is kept in the holy name of God, it has a final commitment, which is outside the comprehension of the world. Without this radical otherworldliness, the church has no serious business with the world. Archimedes said, give me a point outside the world for a fulcrum, and I will move the world with a lever. If the church does not rest on a point outside the world, it has no leverage with the world. But here's the thing, in our case, in the case of the church, that point outside the world, that fulcrum um, outside the world is nothing other than the cross. It is, it is outside the world in the sense of utterly overturning the wisdom um, of the world. The cross means that salvation doesn't come as some kind of human possibility, something that we can do for ourselves. Um, it is completely from outside the world. It is totally by grace. It is a miracle. It is like a new birth. It is like being born again. It is just as incomprehensible. And in this sense, in order to be for the world, in order to bear witness to God's goodness in the world, we can't be of the world. Um, in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, um, it's, a, it's a fictional account of a senior demon counseling a junior demon on basically how to get people to hell. Um, it, is, it is by turns entertaining and terrifying. Um, and one of the things that you realize in, in reading this, that one of his insights, is that you know, when Jesus prays, keep them from the evil one, what is he praying against? What is it that Satan wants? Um, to read the screw tape letters, and there seems to be some insight in this, um, Satan doesn't have to kill us all. He might want to. That might be just fine with him. Um, 
But it's not what he needs to do. He just needs to keep us of the world, just to keep us comfortable um, in the world. One of the lines in, in the Screwtape Letters, um, the senior demon writes, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he's finding his place in it, while really it's finding its place in him. Jesus has called us in these last couple chapters to some pretty radical discipleship, right? To lay down our lives for one another. Um, to bear witness to him in ways that will draw hatred of, of the world. Um, but he's done this to the end that the world would see us bearing fruit, know that we are his disciples, and that God would thereby be glorified. Um, that's his goal uh, in, in all of this. The last thing that he prays for is that we would be set apart, right? That we would be sanctified. It's interesting how he says, I sanctify myself, or actually, I should point this out, in most of your translations, it might use two different words. I know in the ESV that we read, it said, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And one thing I wanted to point out is those are the same word, right? Consecrate and sanctify is the same word. So you could say, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. But there's two very different things going on there. They both mean set apart, right? Sanctify means to set apart. When Jesus says, I sanctify myself, he's using the kind of language that was typically used um, in a priestly setting. And it could be the priest being set apart for his duties, or it could be the sacrifice being set apart. Um, in Jesus' case, it's both. Jesus is uniquely the priest. Uh, who can say, I sanctify myself. No other priest ever said that. No other priest was able to say, I sanctify myself. He could be sanctified by God. But Jesus, as our high priest, can say, I sanctify myself. And Jesus, as our sacrifice, can say, I sanctify myself. Um, and it's because he does that that we are set apart. It's vitally important that we understand which of those comes first and which one rests on the other, that it is because he has set himself apart as our high priest, as our sacrifice, that we can be set apart uh, to bear his image, uh, to more and more bear his image, to have sin put to death in our lives, to bear fruit, to glorify God in our lives, right? All of that. Um, it's vitally important that we understand that it's because of what Jesus has done that we can be set apart. Um, it's also vitally important that we understand that because of what Jesus has done, we will be set apart. Right? So the one rests on the other, but what happens in us, the sanctification that takes place in us, is necessary. This is going to happen. This is a promise from Jesus. This is something that he is praying for. Um, I have, I have noticed um, that, that sometimes in uh, small groups and community groups um, uh, among, among Christians, I sometimes get the sense that, that some of us think that the, the, the best thing that we can do, the height of our Christian life, would be to just feel really, really bad about our sin, right? And that would be it. 
Like if we can just feel bad enough, if we can just feel sorry enough, if we can just know how helpless we are, like that would be the best thing, right? That might be an important stage. That probably needs to happen. Like we need that bad news, but that's not the end of the story, right? That would be like reading the beginning of Ephesians 2 where Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins and then stopping, right? Stopping with that before getting to the part where he turns the corner and says, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him. He says, we are saved by grace through faith because we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me ask you one last question in, in closing. Last week when we talked about prayer, um, Bradley asked us, when we pray, do we do so in light of the cross? Do we have the cross in front of us? I think the same question is in front of us um, this week with regard to how we live, how we live our, our lives. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You know, when Moses asked to see God's glory and was told, you can't, you can't see my, my, my glory, you know, part of that is because um, we have a God who is a consuming fire. Part of it is he could not stand uh, to be in the presence of, of God's glory. But then when Jesus actually shows up, and John says the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw him, And in John's gospel, God's glory was put on display. But it was put on display in the cross. One of the reasons that Moses was told, you can't see my glory, might have been because the hour wasn't there yet. Because there was no cross yet. Moses couldn't see that. But we can. We have. We have seen the glory of God put on display. And so the question for us then is, in light of that, how do we live? How do we live towards one another? How do we live uh, toward the world? If God is this kind of father who would give even his own son for us, then there's nothing that he's going to withhold of what we need. Um, and that should send us towards confidence. It should send us towards boldness. And above all, it should send us towards more prayer. So before we come to this table, let's bow our heads and let's pray.